another edition of the Mill Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Carter Carls. It is Thursday, October 6th, and we are two days away from Florida State kicking off at NC State in Carter-Finley Stadium, a stadium that Florida State hasn't won in since 2016, uh, and with the 10-year anniversary of NC State's wacky, crazy, insane 17-16 come-from-behind win over Florida State. thought it'd be a good idea, maybe a bad idea, to, uh, to bring on Mike Glennon for the podcast. Um, he talked about that game uh, back in 2012, uh, but he also assessed Florida State this season, gave some thoughts on NC State, gave some thoughts on the, the matchup. Um, he's obviously still trying to do the NFL thing, but He's also uh, very much into breaking down the game. If you haven't seen it, he, he really does some, some great breakdowns on Twitter. So be sure to check that out. And, and after that, me and Essen will, will break down the matchup and kind of give our predictions. So without further ado, here is Mike Glennon. Okay, we're now joined by Mike Glennon, former NC State quarterback. Mike Glennon uh, played at NC State from... 2008 to 2012, two-year starter, uh, still doing the NFL thing, and uh, been in the league for almost uh, a, a decade. So, uh, Mike, bef- before we get into FSU and NC State, I want to go back and ask you the 2012 game you had against FSU, which I'm sure FSU fans are going to hate me for mentioning this, but you're down 16 nothing. You come all the way back, score a touchdown at the end of the game, win 17-16. I think FSU was number three in the country, undefeated. What do you remember about that game? Yeah. That, that was wild. Yeah, it's a 10-year anniversary um, of that game, and I have uh, incredible memories to go against that Florida State team. I mean, they're number three in the country, and if you look back, I think – I don't know what the number is, but probably over 90% of the starters on that team ended up playing in the NFL. So to, so to be down 16 nothing and have that comeback, it, uh, it is a, a moment I'll never forget, an incredible memory. Carter-Finley Stadium was the best I ever saw it as a player, um, and it was just a great win for us to, to knock them off. Um, you know, really, I think that was our only loss of the season, so kind of sp- I'm not sure. I, I, I do know it spoiled their national championship hopes. They still went on to win the ACC, uh, went on to win the Orange Bowl, but at least I'm left with a good memory. So uh, it, it was a wild game and the uh, most exciting game I've ever been a part of. And, and for those listening who, who haven't already, check out Mike Glennon's Twitter. I mean, it, it, it's some good stuff, uh, not just with FSU and NC State, but around the ACC. He's kind of giving down some some film reviews. Uh, I actually just watched one uh, of one he did from Devin Leary against uh, against Clemson, one of the throws that he made. Um, and before we get into kind of that matchup, I also want to ask you, you know, you, you got to play FSU for a couple seasons, and you got to see them for, for four seasons when you were there at NC State. And they were pretty good at that time, obviously was pretty rocky for Florida State a little bit after that, but now they've, they're starting to experience success again. When you watch them now and kind of compare them to where they were when you played them, what kind of similarities, differences, what, what, where do you feel like they are now compared to them? Yeah, I've kind of seen the evolution of Florida State, I feel like. You know, growing up as a kid, obviously, Florida State was the program. And then when, right when I got to NC State, was towards the end of the Bobby Bowden area, and things started slipping a little. I remember we went down there. This had to be my true freshman year, and it was a shootout. Russell Wilson was playing, and they beat us. But I believe that year that we went like seven and six or something like that. So they were starting to fall off a little, and then Jimbo took over, and they were dominant. And, you know, we talked about my year in 2012, but then James Winston, who was a teammate of mine with the Bucks. I mean, those teams were loaded. Obviously, national championship. And it was just NFL player after NFL player. And right now, I'm kind of seeing that kind of comeback. Kind of, you know, they've fallen off more than they did with at the end of the Bobby Bowden area. But it, it's kind of Florida State starting to look back 
to what they were with Jimbo Fisher in those years from, you know, 2010 to whatever, 2018 or whenever Jimbo left. I mean, it was as dominant of a football program really as there was in the country outside of maybe Alabama, Ohio State, or Oklahoma. I mean, they were, they were the best. Um, I guess you could throw Clemson in there too, but I mean, it, it was a really good run they had there. I hope they get back. I mean, college football, ACC, it's just better when Florida State is good. I mean, you know, I say this when Florida State's coming in town. I don't know if there's a much better sound in college football than hearing 80,000 people going, oh, oh, oh. I mean, it's just, it's incredible. Yeah. And the whole spear in the middle of the 50-yard line, that's better when it's a, it's a night game on ESPN, the place is sold out, than when, you know, I turn on the TV and it's noon and there's only about half the stadium filled. So I, I hope Florida State gets back to where they were. Uh, and it looks like they're on their way. And one one of the reasons they've had success this season is just kind of the evolution of, of Jordan Travis at quarterback. We saw it in the in the spring in preseason camp. It just seemed to really come together for them, and then it's translated to the field this fall. I'm wondering as a as a quarterback what you kind of see from him. I know you've probably watched him previous years, but maybe what, what? how did he get to this level and, and just how good of a quarterback do you think he is? Yeah, I took a peek at a couple games from last year. I didn't go too deep. Um, and the thing that stood out to me last year was how incredible of an athlete he was. And when he ran with the ball, um, he, he was something special. And outside of Lee Cunningham of Louisville, he was the most electric and dynamic player in the conference when he had the ball in his hands. And this year, I'm seeing a complete different version. Now I'm seeing a guy that is looking to throw and barely looking to run the ball. And, and there's good reason why he's looking to throw because he has some new receivers, and I think he's just developed and, and grown into being comfortable going through his reads. Um, just the ownership that I'm seeing of him of, of not only going through his progression, but also the line of scrimmage kind of uh, handling the, the protections. You know, if he's hot, he's throwing hot. If he can fix it, he's doing all that. And then he also excels at the RPO game. I, I can't count how many times he's kind of thrown those RPO clinch routes. He had a couple against Wake last week. But all in all, it just seems like he has a really good feel for the position right now. Throwing the ball, um, hasn't run it much, but he still obviously has that capability of doing it. Um, you know, so NC State's got to be uh, – you know, hone in on that because if he takes off, he can, he can go the distance. And and the rest of Florida State's offense, I mean, just to to be frank, the the wide receiving core compared to last year, I mean, it, you can't even compare it. I mean, they were one of the nation's worst, or not nation, maybe the maybe the conference's worst receiving group last year. Maybe this year, I mean, they're number one in like overall PFF grade for, you know, where they're at as a wide receiving core, what they do as a blocking group, uh, they just, they're, they're really good blocking. I, I'm just curious what you see from them and then the offensive line, just the rest of that offense. I know, I know the offensive lines had some injuries as well, but um, what, what, are you, what are your kind of impressions? I would say the, the first thing that jumped out to me is, is the running backs. Um, with Trayshawn Ward and Trey Benson, and I believe there's a third one. Totally, yeah. Right. So when I see those guys, I mean, I'm not seeing quite Dalvin Cook, but that Trayshawn Ward guy, he's got some, he's got some game to him, and uh, I've been impressed with him. So I think now that they have that dynamic uh, of being able to run the ball and have those guys, and again, I can't speak to last year for the receivers. But I can, I can speak to the guys I have now. And Johnny Wilson obviously had that huge game against Louisville. A guy that is that tall and big but can still run, um, that's hard to defend. I mean, there's not many corners that you can put on him, and it's going to be a mismatch just because of the size. And he still has this has some good speed. So um, that causes major problems for defenses. And then also Ontario Wilson um, has had some big plays. And then um, – Who's the third guy I'm thinking? You have to remind me of his name. Micah Pittman. What's his name? Micah Pittman. Micah Pittman, yeah. yeah. So you got three guys. You got three running backs. Uh, tight ends, I've even made some plays for him. And then I think Jordan Travis has just done a really good job getting the ball into these guys' hands. And um, he's doing that 
with timing, with anticipation, and just finding the open guy, and, and they're turned into the playmakers. He doesn't really have to be the playmaker anymore. He's letting them become the playmakers. So did you already go back and watch the Wake Forest game from this I have, yes. So, you know, the offense, it was, it was really interesting. They, they start off the game, and it just looks so easy. Just completion, completion, right down the field. You had a 30-yard run from Treshawn Ward. And then after that, they don't score until about seven minutes left in the third. You had the fumble on one possession from Jordan Travis. You had a, some three and outs. Um, I, was that something Wake Forest did that that kind of caused them to, to sputter there? Or yeah, I yeah. don't think Wake Forest really switched up what they're doing schematically. It just seemed like I was watching the game. I remember watching it live and then watching it on film really emphasized this. Was Florida State got up seven nothing, moved down the field really well, and then it felt like next thing you know they're down twenty one seven. Yeah. and just couldn't get back in the game. Um, so it happened so quickly. It just felt like you mentioned a fumble, you mentioned a three and out, and then the next thing you know, um, they're on a 21-0 run, and, and it's harder to get back in the game. And, uh, some of the things I noticed is they just felt like their uh, Wake Forest's defense was doing a really good job of getting pressure on Jordan Travis. Yeah. Um, O-line didn't hold up quite as well as they have other games, and it felt like Jordan was maybe leaving the pocket early as sometimes. Um, but I don't know. It just it just looked like Wake Forest was was executing better, was playing a little bit harder than Florida State, and it was just one of those days where Florida State didn't necessarily look bad, but they just weren't making enough plays to really get back into the game after letting that that lead uh, kind of get away in the beginning. And then flipping to the the defensive side of the ball, you saw some of Wake Forest receivers make some really really good plays. You saw their running backs really run with authority and, and break some tackles. What was Wake Forest doing that, that kind of kept FSU from from executing maybe at a higher level? And, yeah, and, I, yeah, I think you kind of hit on, on two of the three things I had in mind. The first thing was a run game. That was the best Wake Forest's run game has looked. Um, and I'll be honest, I, I flipped through the run plays pretty quick, so I don't spend as much time on that. But I did notice there were some gashes. Uh, so I don't know exactly what was going on in Florida State's defense. The second thing was you have to give Wake Forest credit. There were some really good plays made by those receivers. That there was one touchdown. I mean, the DV played really good coverage. It was on uh, Donovan Green to the right on a fade route, and yeah. the Wake Forest guy came down with it. I mean, sometimes you just got to give the other team credit. They got good players too. And then the third thing that really jumped out to me was how Wake Forest was able to stay on the field and convert third and fourth downs. It yeah. seemed like whenever Sam Hartman needed to, he made a play on third and fourth down, and so they're able to sustain drives. Um, so that's something that I'm sure will be a point of emphasis this week for uh, for Florida State um, is to get off the field on third down, and then I'm sure we'll get into it. But that will probably be a point of emphasis for NC State is to stay on the field. They The time of possession was heavily in Clemson's favor last week. So um, two teams that are kind of – going to be trying to do the same thing. Yeah, Wake had 50 plays in the first half, and for much of the game, yeah, very lopsided time of possession. So let's let's talk about NC State now. Going going into this game this coming Saturday, what do you kind of see as, as the key storylines, key, maybe the keys for both teams uh, coming into this game? Yeah, I think um, one of the matchups I kind of want to see if it plays out. So Tyler Baker-Williams, he's a really good corner for NC State. He's the nickel, and he's a good player. I want to see him matched up on uh, Johnny Wilson and see who those two go at it. Um, I think they're they're both good players. Tyler Baker-Williams has a little bit of size to him for a, a, a corner for a DB, so I think that could be a good matchup. Um, for keys to the game for NC State, um, put me on the spot. I haven't really thought this one through. So, I mean, I think you'll have to see the run game. NC State's offense is going to want to get the run game going. They're going to see that way for us, what they were able to do. NC State's offense so far this year has been actually decently solid in the run. They weren't great against Clemson. It was kind of a similar thing. It was time of possession. In the first half, they didn't have the ball much. And then the second half, they were playing from behind, so they had to, pa- had to pass the ball. So I think they're going to really want to establish that run. And then on the defensive side, um, for NC State, I, I think they're going to want to take away that RPO game and that what what Jordan Travis is great at because 
you know, take away the RPO game, you take away the run against uh, Treshawn Ward and Trey Benson. NC State's defense has been very good against the run. I haven't checked since the Clemson game, but before going into the Clemson game, they were number 10 in the country in run defense, and really Clemson didn't run the ball that, that great against them, so I imagine they're still going to be up there. So it's going to be, you know, if they come up on the run, can they hang with, with the RPOs uh, and, and, you know, defend the passes on the outside? And then on the flip side for, for Florida State, um, I would say from a defensive standpoint, they're going to want to challenge these receivers. Um, so far versus man coverage, which seems like Florida State likes to do a lot. NC State hasn't been great against man coverage. So these DBs are going to want to challenge these guys and see if, if the receivers can beat them. NC State's got a really good quarterback in Devin Leary. Um, but if the receivers aren't getting separation, aren't getting open, it makes it hard on him. So I think that man coverage element is going to be important, but uh, they're going to have to stop Thayer Thomas, who's a slot receiver. Had a really good game against Clemson. has kind of been the go-to guy this year. And then from uh, from Florida State's offensive standpoint, um, yeah, I mean, they're going against a really good defense. So they're going to have to find a way to, to get the run game going. Um, they're going to want to uh, see what they can do against this run defense. But then I think Jordan Travis is going to have to make some plays through the air, and it might take him making some some throws with his feet. You saw DJ Uangale have some big runs. Um, you also saw him go through some regressions where he had time in the pocket and hit some big plays down the field like he did Will Shipley for a touchdown where uh, it wasn't there right away, but he just kind of hung in the pocket and, and was able to deliver. So really I think the teams match up pretty well, um, kind of strength on strength, maybe weakness on weakness in, in some areas, and uh, – it's going to be a good game, and I think this, you know, this is an important game for both teams because you lose two games in this Atlantic division, you're essentially out of it. So um, neither team can afford to lose, and really, it's a must-win for for both of these teams. Yeah, with Devin Leary, I want to ask you because you know, watching that video you posted was one heck of a throw that that he made on that third and seventeen against Clemson. It's, it's the reason why he was picked as ACC preseason player of the year. It's why he's, you know, on all the NFL draft boards. Um, and he, and he obviously had an awesome season last season, came in with some high expectations. I'd say maybe just like if you're looking at the, the stats, the stat sheets the, and the national rankings, he isn't quite where you may expect him to be coming into the year. I'm wondering if maybe – if you've seen a regression from him at all, or if that speaks more to the receivers like you were yeah, talking about? Yeah, I think there's a there's two parts to, to that answer. And one would be I think he came in with a little bit of hype and was trying to live up to the hype. So rather than letting the big play come to him, he was kind of looking for the big play. Um, but I think he settled in against Clemson. I didn't see that as much. He was just kind of taking what they gave him. The second part of that question is, or the answer is the receivers haven't been quite as good as last year. They lost to Mecca Mezzi, who was his number one receiver, and they've had a hard time kind of filling that void. Um, they've done well against Charleston Southern and UConn, but they've struggled against ECU and Texas Tech. Um, and then last week against Clemson, he he actually played pretty well, um, and, and the numbers might not show it, but he played well, and that was a, a really good defense. He was dealing with pressure in his face all game. So I think he's kind of over that, you know, that living up to the expectations. Now he's just playing ball again, which is a good thing for NC State. Yeah, and you you did mention uh, DJ Uyagule. I want to mention that real quick because that's who Florida State will be facing next week. Uh, And, you know, he got a lot of, of flack for how he played last year. Coming into the year, you know, they bring in Cade Klubnik, five-star freshman, and people are saying, uh, is this guy going to take over at some point? And and here DJU is now, you know, playing pretty well. I'm wondering maybe what difference in his game you've, you may have seen. Yeah, it's, it really is incredible. I mean, he looks like a completely different player. I was kind of one of those people because I did go back and watch his games and you know, you can't completely buy into a five-star quarterback, but I was thinking, man, they, they might have to give this guy a chance if he doesn't show growth fast. And he didn't have a great 
game against Georgia Tech, but from then on, he has been sharp. And it's kind of been in, in all aspects of, of his game. But, but the main reason why, I think he just looks more comfortable. And, and the game is starting to slow down in his head. Um, you can tell it because his feet are way calmer in the pocket. Um, you see him going through his reads, through his progressions. He's always had the arm, but he's way more accurate. And I think the accuracy has just improved because he's confident in where he wants to go with the ball. He's not guessing. Um, he's seen the defense well. And then on top of that, he's making plays with his feet. You know, they've obviously made a big deal about him losing all this weight, which I kind of thought was a little, I'm like, I mean, <laughs> is it that big of a deal that he lost his weight? But yeah. he is moving really well, and, he, and he's still hard to bring down. The guys are, you know, they'll get him in position and take him down for a sack, and then he's able to still get the throw off. So he's playing – Playing really well. Um, I would say outside of Drake May and Sam Hartman, I don't know if there's anyone that's playing better than him in the ACC right now. Yeah, and um, before we get into sort of, I want want to ask for your prediction for the game. I I know you said you're going to be there. uh, But uh, before that, I'm I'm curious if you were an opposing offensive coordinator and an opposing defensive coordinator and you were going up against FSU – what do you see as maybe potential weaknesses that you think you could exploit just having watched them? So from the defensive standpoint, you have to find ways to beat man coverage. And and you're going to have to, for me, if I don't have the personnel that can beat you one-on-one, I'm going to have to scheme you up somehow. So I'm going to have to get some motions, get in bunch formation, run uh, rub routes, run pick plays, do all sorts of different ways to um, – where you can beat the man coverage, but you don't necessarily have to have the better athlete. So if I was NC State, I would be drawing up a bunch of plays to beat this man coverage, um, and and that's going to be done from a schematic standpoint. And then from the offensive standpoint, um, it's a good question. I, I would have to, I would have to look even closer than I have um, because if you you can't. You can't just load the box because if you load the box to try to stop the run, they're going to run these RPOs behind you. Um, and if you sit back in coverage, they're going to run the ball well. So um, they're they're a tough tough team to really game plan for. I, w- I would just probably mix up the coverage, throw in some blitzes, um, try to get an extra hat in there to, to stop this run and really see if, if Jordan Travis can pick you apart and, and prove that he's able to hang in the pocket, which he which he has done, prove it time and time again, play after play after play, prove that he's patient enough to make the completion uh, and, and not let him make the big play running with the ball. So they, they are a, um, I wouldn't say a nightmare for defensive coordinators, but they're, they're hard to game plan for just because they have so many different elements and that they have a really good running game with the running backs. They have good receivers, and they have a quarterback that can not only throw it, but he can run it. So uh, I'll be interested to see what Tony Gibson, the defensive coordinator for NC State, does um, to try to slow down this offense. Now one more before the prediction. I want to talk about Carter-Finley Stadium, probably because my name's Carter. That's why I like it. Um, But that's been a place FSU struggled in in recent years. They haven't won there since 2016. A night game at Carter-Finley Stadium, how, how tough of an environment is that to play in? It's a tough environment. I mean, these it, the thing I always talk about is I've had so many different teammates that play in the ACC, and they always come up to me and say how underrated and how good of an environment NC State is. And um, outside of probably Virginia Tech, Clemson, and, and Florida State when it's good, I think NC State would be the, the next best one in the uh, conference and the fans are into it. They're passionate. Um, win or lose NC state fans show up. We have, we have a great uh, fan base seats about 60,000, but I mean, it, it's going to be rocking uh, on Saturday night. And I think there's a little more because of the history between Florida state and NC state. The fact that we've been able to beat them so many times at home, I think the fans take a little extra pride in it. Like they, they feel like they play a part and this, which they do. I mean, it's a tough place to play. Um, it makes it hard on the opposing offense. So uh, you're in for a treat. I think you'll like it. It's not the biggest stadium in the world, but but it's uh, it's a nice, cozy environment, I guess, pretty loud. I love it. Well, uh, Mike, what's your prediction? What do you think, not just score-wise? 
Yeah, you... I, I can't. I, I'm going with. Um, I think it will be a little higher score than it has been the past couple of weeks for NC State. I'm going to go with a close one, though. I'm going to go with 35 to 31. I got to go with that. Like you said, Carter Finley. Uh, haven't won there since 2016, and I know they lost in 2012. So uh, we can go back to then. And, and um, I just think that NC State's going to – it's a must win for them, uh, it's like it is, I think, for Florida State as well. But I just think that home, home field advantage could, could be the difference in this one. And before I let you go, Jameis Winston, quite the character. I'm sure you've got some great stories to tell from your time playing with him. T- tell us one or more uh, great, great stories from him. Ah, man. I- I'll start by saying this. Jameis is one of the most loyal and hardest-working teammates I've ever had. I mean, Jameis goes balls to the wall every day of practice. If a coach asks him to do something, he is going to do it as hard as he possibly can. He's going to spend as much time on it as possible. He stays after practice. Um, just a phenomenal worker. So I have so much respect for Jameis. Still a friend of mine. We talk uh, stories. I mean, man, there's so many good, so many good Jameis stories. I, I don't even know where to begin. Uh, I, I would say one would be it was our first Jameis's first ever preseason game. We were up in Minnesota, and uh, you know it's a little bold for a rookie to kind of lead the team in breaking it down. For his first ever game. So Jameis gets in the middle, and all of a sudden he's like, uh, hey, we going to pop that Advil. we going to pop that Advil. I'm like, where is he going with this one? He's like, because we're going to be feeling good after this game. We're going to be feeling good after this game. And, I, like, it was good. I mean, he, he has so much energy and passion and emotion and all this stuff. And then I was like, hey, like, where did you come up with that? Like, I figured he, he must have used it before. And he's like, Alma just came to me. <laughs> so, and, and that's one of the things I, I love about Jameis is people see these pregame speeches, and I've been around people that give pregame speeches because they know the camera's on them. Jameis gives it because he, in his heart, thinks it's the best thing for the team and it's going to help the team win. He's not doing it for the cameras. He's doing it because it means that much, so much to him. So uh, his speeches were always a joy, and, and it's been fun to watch them over the year, his, his little one-liners or his – uh, I mean, he's like the most, uh, well, the sound bites are just incredible. Um, but, but, I, but I love him. He was, he was a great teammate. Like I said, a loyal friend. And I, I really enjoyed my two years, I guess. Yeah. That make, that reminds me of the, the eating the W thing. What, what'd you yeah, think of that one? <laughs> I wasn't there for that, but, uh, man, I'm, I'm telling you, that's just who he is. He, he wasn't doing that because there was a camera on it just popped in his head for whatever reason. I don't know why even W's popped in his head, but it did, and he went with it. Well, Mike, uh, th- this has been awesome. I'm telling you, once you're done with football, ACC Network would be dumb not to hire you. I'm, d- that, I'm yeah. just going to put that out there. I think I think you do a great job breaking the game down and uh, looking forward to, to seeing what you do if you, if you join a team this season or, or end up uh, doing the whole uh, broadcasting thing. Yeah. Well, thanks, Carter. I hope you enjoy your time in Raleigh, and uh, hopefully I'll see you around. Yes, sir. Thank you, Mike. Okay, thanks again to Mike Glennon for, for joining the podcast. And I'm now joined by my coworker, Essen, and he is joining me in an itchy and scratchy T-shirt from The Simpsons. I love it. This is the best shirt I've ever seen you wear, Essen. Well, I mean, pizza, the pizza sandlot? Uh, yeah, no, I think it does. That's fair. Maybe that's, that's fair. a hot take, but man, yeah, man, now I'm noticing. Okay, yeah, you've got some fire shirts. I love yeah, it. Yeah, I love it. So let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about Wake Forest, man. Just kind of recapping our thoughts on FSU's first loss of the season, thirty-one twenty-one. This past, I think we Saturday. could both say we were not shocked by the loss because you know we knew how good Wake was coming into that game. We kind of got an answer of like you know where Florida State stands after that week. They they didn't play their best game, but I think some of that was due to Wake and what they did. Yeah, I I personally felt like it was a game that could have gone either way, but Florida State just didn't give themselves a chance with 
how sloppy they played. That was yeah, the sloppiest great. game they've played. And they've had sloppy moments this season. We saw at the end of LSU. We saw, you know, the beginning against Louisville. Um, that was sloppy. A lot, lot of self-inflicted errors. And when you play and the, a team as experienced and as good as Wake Forest, you're, you're, you're going to lose a game playing that unclean. And the game started perfectly for Florida State. Drive down, you know, they, they, they um, Wake Forest wins the toss to Furs. Florida State gets the ball, drives down, scores pretty easily. Get three and out the next drive. And you're like, oh, wow, this might be a route for Florida State because Wake Forest doesn't look, you know, the, the offense didn't look good in that first drive. It was a three and out. Um, but then from then on, you touch on it, you know, and, um, with PFF grades. Um, the offensive line was just manhandled. Yeah. Offensive tackles, I mean, really the story of the game beyond the sloppiness to me was there is a significant drop-off with the best players to the guys behind them. You know, we talk about Fabian Levitt, Jared Verse, Robert Scott. When you're missing some of those guys, I mean, um, they still have a long ways to go from a recruiting standpoint. And, and um Left tackle, right tackle, you know, you come into the season, you already lose Bless Harris. Now now you're relying on Darius Washington, who didn't really have a full offseason. He got hurt in the spring. Justin Turntine joined the team late, um, and they didn't really know if they wanted to even take him. And now he's starting at right tackle for you. Um, and and Darius Washington, it's, it's not like he's – been able to settle in at one position either they've got him playing all these different positions it just looked ugly you saw the penalties you saw it just looked like the offensive line didn't know what they were doing sometimes you know missing blocks not executing right it just it was very and, uh, sloppy and, and that's something you pointed out like you know they're not there because the old florida state teams the ones you know and the clemsons and the alabamas they lose a player they plug someone else in and it just the, the Wheels keeps turning, you know. Yeah. It doesn't really. They don't miss a beat. Florida State is not there yet. Their top end guys are getting better. They're, they are, you know, probably as good as anyone in the nation. And we see with the, you know, we talk about the pro football folks numbers a lot. Florida State's offense, first state off, um, their offense is, you know, I think top five in the nation still. Their defense is really good. You know, it just once you get beyond the starters, they're not there yet. It's gonna take some time to get there. And I think it's a natural reaction for people to freak out over losses and they see how sloppy they play. Oh my gosh. Like what's going on? Oh, might lose the next two games. My whole thing is when we entered this season and we were talking about FSU and expectations and what would be a good season. This is a team that hadn't had a record above 500 since 2017 is a team that hadn't gone to a bowl game in a while I mean, really, the the expectation, the hope was that they get to six or seven wins. I predicted them to be a seven and five team. For them to go four and zero, oh, that was really exceeding expectations. They'd won the two coin flip games. They took care of business against Duquesne, BC. This was a team that, like, starting five and zero, oh, like that was going to be really difficult, um, considering the makeup. And for them to be four and one, I think if you were to ask anybody before the season, hey, what would you think about a 4-1 start? Start. Everyone would have been, like, excited about that. And would I mean, have been... forget that for a second. If I told you, even if they lose the next two games, they'd be 4-3. and three. Yeah. If I told you before a season they're going to be 4-3, what would your reaction be? Yeah, and not just that, but 4-3 and three despite losing Jared Verse and despite losing Fabian Lovett, Robert Scott, Caden Lyles, Marie Smith for a little bit of a stretch – um, Winston Wright losing Jordan Travis for a half, you know. Yeah, L- losing Jordan Travis in one of those coin flip games, absolutely. And so, even if they go four and three now, yeah, if they lose to Clemson by forty, that changes the the equation a little bit. That that shows how far they are. But if if these are decent losses, and again, you know, I'm not a moral victories guy at all. But I'm just saying, if you're tracking progress in a program, four and three. Before the year, you would have said progress. And we have more information about the rest of the teams on their schedule. You feel a lot more confident about FSU's chances against Georgia Tech, against Miami, against Florida. 
Syracuse is the one where it's like, oh, maybe they're, you know, uh, better than we thought. But they're also going to have some pretty tough competition coming up. So it's one of those deals where um, four and three at the beginning of the year, you would have been happy with four and one. Absolutely. And you look at Wake for how bad that game went. You had a position where you were down a score in the fourth quarter. Greedy Vance makes that interception. You have a chance to tie the game, and I think they probably would have with all the momentum and all the where the game flow was at. Um, now, he didn't make the play, but d- despite all that nonsense that happened in that game, they really still had a chance. And, um, again, it's like no moral victories, and at the end of the day – you don't want to see a team play this sloppy on a on a week in week out basis. NC State will will get into, but really important. I mean, we watched them practice uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, and I felt like it was a lot more crisp. I felt like they came in with the right approach this week, um, and yeah, this this will be a huge test for them. They haven't won at Carter Finley since 2016, and. Um, been... I think um, one thing you mentioned is you know no moral victories. We don't we don't want moral victories anyways. But I think it's also important to look take a look in the mirror of where the program is and not overreact to it. You know don't don't reach for moral victories, but also look in the mirror and be like, you know, realistically, where are we supposed to be right now? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, this is a program that has been built through the transfer portal and you've, you see quick fixes. You see some guys that'll be in a year or two when it really starts to take over is when a lot of these high school players begin to really pop. And we're seeing some of those freshmen, sophomores, those homegrown Daniel Lyons type players begin to flash. Uh, Patrick Payton. There's a feature if you guys want to read. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and you know, we know they have some really good guys coming in when it comes to, you know, a guy like Hakeem Williams, a guy like Blake Nicholson. Um, so, yeah, all you want to see with this team is progress. You, you don't want that step back. And, you know, you three wins la- uh, the first year, five wins last year. You get the seven this year, you feel pretty good. Still far from being a, a legit contender. I think with what we've seen from Jordan Travis so far, that's like the biggest thing to me. It's like, oh, I didn't know he was going to be a top 20 caliber quarterback in college football. Um, and so that that's really I mean, now, the key. If he, if he comes back about the year. We talked about a little bit in the week. You know, Jordan Travis has turned into a guy that, you know, he's not going to be a first-round pick, but and it seems to me look at like, you know, hey, I want this guy, you know. He's someone like you know that's gonna get to the combine and be able to pop more than you know, than get on the on the stage. I think a Clemson game, a good performance against that defense will all help his you know draft stock dramatically. Well, let's talk about NC State because that's one heck of a defense too. They're true, top yeah. twenty and just about every metric. Great against the run. Great against the pass. Great scoring defense. They they can stop you in the red zone. They can they can do just about anything. Three three five look that they've got. And then on the opposite side of the ball, you got Devin Leary at quarterback, who is a projected you know top two round kind of guy, uh, you know at the at the quarterback position. So um, going into that game, Essen, let's talk about it. What what do you think you want to see out of FSU, and what do you think are kind of the big keys to this one? I mean, um, Robert Scott's got to play. First of all, yeah, that's that's me key, you know. Uh, and then we'll see what I don't know what um, it's going to look like for um, you know if George, um, Robert Scott's back. I don't know what's going to look on the opposite side because I'm not sure if you know you go with Jazz for the entire game if they have some you know because Coach Atkins mentioned you know it was a good point at his Monday press conference. You can't just plug in the player after pre- prep preparing for someone else all week. Right. It's hard to just plug in the offensive lineman because you got to know so much. There's so much intricacy that goes into it. So I'm kind of wondering if they have you know a backup plan this week if they have that any struggles again to kind of plug someone else in there. So that could be interesting as well. Here's what I'll say: If Robert Scott plays, you've got three options at right tackle. 
You either roll out Jazz, who's been your starter there since Bless Harris went down. You go Darius Washington, who has played right tackle. He started multiple games there in his three-year career at Florida State. Or you go with the true freshman in Julian Armella, who was a four-star recruit, brings a lot of intrigue, certainly looks the part at times, but also in practice he does have quite a few losses. I was talking with somebody today. The thing about Armella is you don't want to Tate Rodemaker him where you put him in a key moment when he's a true freshman and it ruins his confidence or, or it hinders his future development. And so I think what I would like to see out of Florida State, depending on who starts at left tackle, I think you roll with your veteran guy to start that game and you kind of ride the hot hand. If the first two drives are a disaster, give Julian Armello one drive or give the second option, you know, Darius Washington, one drive, see how they do. If it's a disaster, okay, you can move on. You've got some options to kind of try it out. The thing about yeah, I think Armella, that, that, that's my point is that I don't think you could just go with the same thing all game if you're struggling on the you right. Know, right tackles, but yeah, just can't do that again. And my thought on Armella is watching him in practice right now, as he currently is right now, he's a bit of a boomer bust option where one play you'll see him knock Jared Verse back and you'll say, whoa, this guy, wow. And then the next play, you'll see a guy blow right past him. It'll, it'll be in an instant. And that'll ruin a play. That'll be a turnover if, if you can't even get your hands on a guy. So, you know, whether he's a whether his future is at left tackle, I'm not sure. But right tackle could be an easier fix for him if he comes in there. And, again, give him a series. Maybe you scheme it up to where you're not putting too much pressure on him. And, again, it's not the blind side for Travis. And he is pretty mobile. So it's not like he has to be absolutely perfect. But I do think that's a position to watch because, you know, left tackle, it really just depends. Do you have Robert Scott or not? If you do, you have Robert Scott there. If you don't, you have Darius Washington there. Right tackle, Jason Turntine has, has not looked very good the last few weeks. And it's just like, do you either put him there? Do you continue to, to – we, like we've seen what he is, but we don't know what Armella is. Um, I don't think Lloyd Willis is an option personally. But um, Armella is someone who will receive good work. He was someone who play, went with the first team at left tackle during their, I believe, their last scrimmage of preseason camp. So they've given him some big reps in practice. But, again, you don't want to ruin his confidence. I don't think you roll him out first snap of the game. Not too much for him. Road game, in that environment, it's going to be tough. Night game, you know, it's – yeah. It's going to be a lot of spotlight, so that'd be interesting. What's your key to the game for FSU? Key to the game, so I think offensively, big part of it we just kind of touched on. Um, this offensive line, just you, you can't – it can't cripple you. And I do think one one thing I want to put a spotlight on for the offense is I think this could be a game where Jordan Travis – really begins to use his legs. Um, he has not used his legs really at all this season, and some of that has to do with the injury that he that he had. But um, you look at last week, DJ Uyagule at Clemson, I think he had 74 rushing yards, two touchdowns, really able to run effectively against NC State. And it's an option you can have when, if you're getting flushed out of the pocket with, with a bad offensive line or – your receivers aren't getting open against a good defense or your offensive line isn't protecting enough for your receivers to get open. That can be something you do. Um, and this week in practice, he stopped wearing his knee brace that he had around his left knee. And because of that, you know, when you have that knee brace, you know, you talk to players, like it's not like it's wearing a 40 pound weight or anything. But you do feel a little bit less comfortable running and cutting and being in the open field. Without it, it's just you're you're loose. I mean, I remember Trey Benson in the spring had a had a knee brace all spring, and then the spring game takes it off, and boom, that's when he really broke out. Jordan Travis does that. Who knows? Maybe this is the week where 
he can begin to do that. So when I look at the offense, I look at that. Um, and, yeah, I think you also got to get Johnny Wilson a little bit more involved. I think it's interesting. He's played about 65 70% of snaps a game. Not quite sure why that is. I feel like he should play a little bit more. I feel like he should get maybe a little bit more targets. Jordan's the kind of guy that likes to spread it around. He'll, he'll throw it to Ontario, Johnny. You, you got to give it – you got to feed the guy that is going to make the plays for you. And yeah, I think that's one thing um, we talked about is um, when Tate was the quarterback, was Tate was not afraid to just, um, you know, just throw it at the Johnny. I think, um, one, I think um, Travis got to be more comfortable doing that. Two, I think we talked about the, you talked about the running and we talked about the draft stock earlier. I think if teams can see he can run around, move, and throw the ball that he has this year and, and be the runner he it was last year, you get that complete package, he's going to be a more interesting prospect as well. And it's going to help FSU win probably. Well, the, the key for him really this year was he needed to prove that he was a good passer and he needed yeah. to prove that he wasn't going to be a guy who abandoned the pocket early. So I think he'd rather I've him be... i kind of combine it both now. You know, right. it can't be one or the other. Yeah, yeah. It's certainly something that uh, that next step in his game, if he can combine both. Because I did think he was a little hesitant watching him against Wake. It felt like he could have pulled the ball a little bit more. Felt like I, I'm not out. sure if he was making uh, if it was hesitancy or if it was he was making the wrong read because we were watching the, you know obviously together and um, twice he um, handed it off when he should have you know we saw a wide open lane and once he ran it when he he should have handed it off so I don't know if it was you know yeah you know so I don't know if that was in that game you know yeah we aren't we aren't the offensive coordinator so we won't know the the full play call but i mean it did look like like oh wow there's a lot of open field why aren't you you pulling that i don't know but um defensive side of the ball let, let's talk about that what what are you thinking in this one so i think um one thing that um coach Norvell, and you know this is stretch each um stress each game, each game is um winning a turnover battle what happened last week they lost 1-0 they forced a turnover mm-hmm. louisville i think louisville i can't remember i think they won or, or been close or something, you know. But generally, you got to win the turnover battle, and I think the defense has not made that big play yet. You know that it's pick six, that scoop and score. You know, at some point, we need to. You know, the defense has got to help the offense out a little bit, especially against NC State or Clemson. This defense has been. If you had to describe this defense, it is. They are the. They define Ben. Don't break. You know, they give up plenty of yards, plenty of first downs, but they don't give up explosive plays. That's their thing. They're one of the best in the country at not giving up explosive plays. But we saw it at the end of the LSU game. We saw it in Louisville. We saw it uh, last week with all the third down conversions, how they couldn't stay off the field. They just, when it comes to those plays where they've got to make a play on third down, they just haven't really done it at a consistent level. They have a couple drives here and there, but for the most part, they they can't get off the field, and that's that's a backbreaker and pretty demoralizing for a team. And when you play a quarterback back like Devin Leary, who can throw in those tight windows, he had an incredible third and seventeen conversion against Clemson last week. Certainly, uh, will be something to watch. Now, one more thing I'll add: the wide receivers for NC State are not very good. They've got Thayer Thomas. That's about it. They're, they just haven't been very good. It's why Devin Leary's regressed this year. But what do you do if you're uh, what do you do if you're FSU? Do you are you aggressive? Do you do you you know press coverage and yeah beat us one on one and you know we'll maybe load the box a little bit and 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 try to you know make make them get open and, and just be a little bit more aggressive or do you stay back and say like, okay, yeah, you can make some, pl- like you can get yards against us, but you're not really going to do anything at all. Like, I, I don't know. I just wonder what maybe the, the mindset will be for the defense. Cause they've been a lot of Ben don't break this year, kind of stay back and put every, keep everything in front of them. But maybe this is a game where you say, all right, yeah. Um, we don't think you're going to, beat us one-on-one. I, I don't know. Do, what, do, what do you feel like is the right approach? I think it's going to be a mix of both. Like, you know, you got to, at certain points of the game, be aggressive and try to make the play, especially if, you know, like, 
you know, let's something crazy happens, you know, um, someone fumbles the ball, they recover on the 49. You're in the short field, you got to make a play. The bend don't break is great, but they're so close to getting points anyways, you know? Yeah. So, got at some point, you got to make a play against the Clemsons and the NC States and the Wake Forest. It can't all be an offense. You wrote uh, today um, about the red zone. That'll be another key as well. Um, but has it been, you know, there's an offense last year that finished 15th nationally. Now that I believe they're 111th in red zone offense. 111th, correct. They've, um, you know, scoring in 74% of their, you know, that, that's, you know, and it, it doesn't, they scored 90, they could bring 90% of their opportunities into points last year, 74 this year. And in my story, I had like, you know, some of the misses they've had. So some of the um, field goals. Um, so a fumble at the goal line, a turnover on downs against LSU, two missed field goals and interception against Louisville, turnover down on downs against Boston College, and a missed field goal against Wake Forest. And when you play against a, a great defense and the field shrinks, it, it's harder to, to score when you're in those opportunities. So um, that's, that's where um, I think the story I mentioned, you know, you have a, the 6-4 tight end and Marquise, Doug, Marquise Douglas, who's coming along now playing a little bit more. Then you have Johnny Wilson. You mentioned, you know, 6-7. That's what Tate did well, you know, is throw the ball up to him in the red zone. Yeah, one of those failed conversions was when they tried to throw it up to Micah Pittman. And yeah. it's like, let's see Johnny Wilson and Malik McClain in those instances. Let's see them throw it up to the, the tallest guys, those big body. Or Kevin guys. McDonald. Throw the, you know, he gets open. Kevin yeah. McDonald's for the plays this year. He's had a couple drops, though. I don't know. He's had a couple drops. Well, <laughs> I feel like you, he gives you a better chance to catch a jump ball than Michael Pittman does, though, you know? Maybe, maybe. But, um, yeah, I think it's an area. And and also not getting too cute. I think there's been a couple times where they get they get to the goal line and they're like, all right, let's let's have the Wyatt Rector play. And it's like, no, nah, dude, like just do what's been working. Like you don't need to do a Wyatt Rector <laughs> You know, snapping under center nonsense. Like, come on. Yeah, man. I mean, if you're going to do it, just hand the ball to DJ Lundy. That's the only trick play we can see in that. Yeah, that's, the, that's the only one. We only want DJ Lundy. Oh. Or, um, you know, I want to see Robert Cooper catch it by us, you know? Yeah, yeah. That, that'd be fun. Um, <laughs> kicking. Let's talk about kicking. Um, I I honestly feel terrible for Ryan oh, I feel Fitzgerald. Awful for I feel awful for him. I mean,. Like, I know it's his job. I know, you know, this is what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to make kicks. You know, he's failed at that. But it's also like, dude, like, it's clear something is not right. And at a certain point, you just feel bad for the dude. Like, kicking is a, kicking is such a tough job for someone to handle. Like, it, it, it sounds funny because it's like, no, it's not. Like, they don't have to practice. They don't have to get hit, blah, blah, blah. But, like... You just get so much pressure, and you, you don't get that much credit when you make kicks because you're expected to. But when you miss them, you're just you're just destroyed. And you're in, it's like it's like you're in, uh, in an island. Yes, teammates come in. You know, we've seen Florida State players. You know, after he misses a field goal, go up to him and try to you know uh, boost him up and help him. We've seen that at practice. They're trying to help pump it up. Um, Norvell's, but but you're still an island. You're still like you know just by yourself, you know, in your mind, in your thoughts, because your the special teams unit is him, you know, a lot of times. Yes, you have a puncher, but, you know, it's, it comes down to those two players for special teams that everyone remembers because no one else is recruited to play that position specifically. And looking at his mechanics, I mean, I am no by no means a kicking expert, but when I see his follow-through, I'm just like, oh, my goodness, there's something wrong here. Hit, and you don't do that in practice. So that's a weird thing. In practice, he's perfect. Yeah. In practice, he looks excellent. Yeah. I mean... So that's where you mentioned, you mentioned there's something there. It's, it's a mental thing. I definitely think it's well, a mental I, block for him. I really believe it, it had to do with changing his approach this offseason. He changed his approach, which for a kicker means, you know, how how you kind of line up to the ball and how you how many steps you take to kick it and what all that looks like the technical part of lining up and kicking a ball he changed that this offseason he talked about it this offseason 
And I mean, you just, you see it when people change their technique, sometimes it doesn't work right. Or sometimes they, they fail one time and then it gets in their head and yeah, it, it's tough. We, we, um, I think it's at the, at this point, it's, it's got to inform your decision-making. You got a fourth and three at the 25, you got to go for it. Like you cannot run him out there in a situation where it, there's a high probability he'll miss it. Like if you're, if you're in, in the analytics and all that, you almost give him less than a 50% chance of making it. If it's a 40 yard field goal or longer, like I would rather just convert, you know, unless it's fourth and 12, you know, and, and, um, you're in the first half and it's a, it's a relatively close game. Like, yeah, I guess, I guess you do it, but I feel like almost most circumstances you, you either got to go for it or, or you, you turn to his backup, Aiden Sharari, Shariari, however you uh, say his last name. Yeah. I, I just feel like it's at the point of no return where it's, it's not like he's just going to magically, Oh, I'm, I'm good now. He almost needs a reset. It's almost like Mike Norvell needs to just tell him like, Hey man, just go to, like Cabo for a week and then come back, you know, like just reset. I mean, it's, I don't think you can just magically reset is what I'm saying. I think the bye week when he gets, we get there in two weeks is going to be the, he's the player that's going to benefit the most from that. Yeah, that's a good point. He really could. I mean, that could be a week where, I mean, honestly tell him, do not kick a single ball. Like literally. Do not in the practice. Go, go. <laughs> Go to Cabo, man. Like, just go. Like, literally, I will. Um, Norvell's be like, I'll do your paper for you. Don't worry, go. Like, yeah. I got it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, so, um, prediction time. Essen, what are you Word. thinking? Huh. I mean, it's a tough one. It's. I feel like this is not a coin flip game. Um, but I will go ahead and, um, you know, Make our viewers, listeners happy. Um, FSU twenty four, wait, um, NC State twenty one. Something they win by a field goal. Oh, you've got Ryan Fitzgerald hitting the last second field goal. Ryan Fitzgerald hits a forty five yard field goal to win the game. Well, let's just say you've gotten you're two for two on your last two predictions. You had a punt return or, or kick return touchdown. And Trey Benson got it against uh, against Boston College, and then last week Wake Forest, you said Michael Pittman have two touchdowns, and he had exactly two touchdowns. And I, then I'm starting to look at you like, okay, what's going on here? Like, are you a, a fortune teller? Um, what what what? Why is not happening? this week? A psychic. So Ryan Fitzgerald, I think people would be very happy if your prediction was right. Um, no one would be happier than Ryan Fitzgerald. Oh, well. I'm going to be the Debbie Downer. I'm picking uh, NC State 24, Florida State 20. I think this will be a fairly low-scoring game for for most of the game. I think we're both in agreement with that. Yeah. And um, I just think with it being a road game, I'm I'm still iffy on the, the injuries. And uh, iffy on the offensive tackles. You don't really have a kicker you can rely on. You've got to execute at a much higher level than they did last week. And I and I do think they'll play much better than last week. But NC State's got a great quarterback, a great defense, and a great environment. I just think they're going to end up making enough plays at the end. But again, coin flip could go either way for sure. Definitely, and um, what I what what, what I mean, you know, we talked about you know last week. I wanted to pick Wake Forest. I went against um, my better judgment, picked Florida State. Um, but I think I, we talked about this before. I think for, um, Florida State was the best case scenario. I don't say best case scenario, but the most realistic scenario for in this stretch three game stretch was one and two. Yeah, and I think that's still possible. So I think that this is the one they have to win. I mean. I'm not saying they're going to lose to Clemson for sure, but that's going to be a lot tougher game. Yeah. I'm thinking 4-3, and three, 
but I think they beat Georgia Tech. They beat Louisiana, Miami, Florida, uh, and Syracuse. Maybe you go two and one in that stretch. Is is maybe what happens? Maybe you went you finish eight and four, seven and five still in play. I think nine and three is is tough, but uh, I do think eight and four is a good bar, a good expectation to set the rest of the season. If you beat Miami, Florida, and LSU in Louisville in the same season, that's a pretty dang successful season if you're FSU. Go in a year, again, you go in the season, all right, tell me, what are the wins and losses? If I tell you LSU, Louisville, Miami, and Florida, you would have been ecstatic. So, if I just told you Miami and Florida, you're excited. Ecstatic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's all we've got for you guys today. Uh, we really appreciate you listening. And if you want to follow more of our coverage, check us out at Tallahassee.com. You can also find us at Null Sports on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. Uh, please leave a rating and a review for this podcast. And we really appreciate you guys for listening. And we'll see you next time.